We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Gibbs and Ospina put in mediocre performances against Southampton in the FA Cup. We'll discuss that and the other disappointments on this edition of the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. All-around disappointing day with plenty of players to criticize, and uh, we'll talk about the repercussions. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The world is a bleak place, but this is going to be an upbeat, exciting podcast because we won. We won in Southampton, which we never do. We knocked them out of the cup. We won with a midfield of me, Paul, and our very special mystery guest who I'll be introducing momentarily. All good things. Danny Welbeck is back. Theo Walcott is back. They both scored. Uh, We got Salt Bay celebrations. We got Alexis telling Bold to put him on or he was going to go run laps around the stadium. We got it all. We're going to dissect it all. We're going to do it with Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Posner My Pants. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! Wow, indeed. you are in form. You are. Yes, you are. Um, I oh, am you too. are. I, you are. I told you that. I just said that, for God's sake. <laughs> We're also going to discuss that with the man Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PAFC. He is uh, well known from the Good and Ramble podcast, a superior uh, uh, kind of concept to what we do here, Stop which it. is mostly just a lot of tedious bullshit. But, Clive, uh, thank you for coming on and uh, sprucing up the place. Top intro, top work, Sam. Well done, well done. Thank you, thank you. I'm inspired by the form of the players who went out and demolished Southampton at the weekend. So I'll start with you, Clive, and I think, you know, history, uh, hindsight is always twenty twenty. What was your reaction when you saw um, the midfield in terms of not just the youth, but seeing Oxlade chamberlain there? Did you have a little sense of dread, like maybe it wasn't going to be our day when you saw it at first? I tell you what, I may be one of the few that was really excited. I was really excited oh, because 
bullshit. <laughs> no, oh, sorry, I, I, I just tick, tickle on my throat. I'm, it's funny. <laughs> I got to say, you're going to believe, you're going to agree with me now, right? Because I'm a big fan of having three centimeters, right? If anyone who follows me, anyone who reads my stuff, I'm a big fan of having three centimeters. And and you know, Elliot, I know you agree with me. PSG oh, oh, yeah. showed me the way. PSG throw showed me the way. That V-shaped midfield with one in and two big runners next to the one that sits in. I love that. And I've been dying for us to do that. Not because of my own personal vision, but because of the players that we have in the squad. I feel that we've got really technical driving players that are that are great at doing the job in centre midfield. But I think we have debates about them in the two. And we are, in my opinion, I think we're trapped by what I call number 10 football. And to see no number 10 and have a, you know, a, a deep line midfielder and almost two number eights connecting, driving, running, getting to the ball first, being quick, being dynamic. I was really excited with the thought process of the team. And when I saw the team shape on the screen on the TV, I didn't go to the game. When I saw the, sh- the team shape on the TV... I thought it was genius, right? Having Jeff slightly to the left, Ox slightly to the right, Lucas not playing left as the TV told us he's going to play, but playing as that connector in the centre-forward position. I'm looking at this, and I tell you now, I was absolutely buzzing before the game at the thought process of seeing so many new partnerships, so many people fighting for their careers, so many people having to play well because of the form of the team, whether we like it or not, the results have been quite decent. To me, this was a team full of freshness, you know, real dynamism, playing a Southampton team that had really dragged themselves through the mire on just on Wednesday night. And for once, Arsenal being the big team wasn't the team that was was tired. We were the ones that were fresh and we added more speed, more dynamism. And I was really excited, and I was, and I and I went for it. I said, "We're going to do this. We're, this is fantastic. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to see it." Yeah. And then the game starts, and then you wonder how it's going to pan out. But I, I, I was one that was fine before the game. See, I, I was torn, and, Clive, and and I'll, I'll get over you in just two seconds, Paul. The only thing I was going to say is, I was so excited by the front three because I was excited to see sort of, yeah, obviously Welbeck back and Theo back, but just three who can run for days, who, you know, will will just absolutely scare the shit out of a back four because any one of them can skip past you in a heartbeat and be gone. And we know that Welbeck can be tricky to deal with and Theo can run in behind. And Lucas, he's got that, not just the the straight line running, but he does seem to have a good uh, eye for space and what space to occupy. My concern was control and our ability to control the midfield. Um, I love the change of system, but look, Maitland now is inexperienced, ran Adelaide inexperienced, and I think it's fair to say that Oxlade-Chamberlain on his form so far this season hadn't led me to believe that he could be the controlled, classy, uh, elegant midfielder that he proved to be on the day. So, Paul, I was going to ask you about Oxlade-Chamberlain, but it sounded like you had a little bit you wanted to add to Clive's uh, opening salvo there, so why don't you fire away? Yeah, I think it all knits together because, you know, to... To Clive's, I don't know. I can't actually tell you what how my emotions in terms of when I saw the lineup. It was a really mixed bag. I didn't know what it was going to be like. Uh, I did like the idea of the midfield three, especially against Southampton, who kind of philosophically this season have gone with the midfield three. And you know we haven't enjoyed games against Southampton in the past. And as Clive rightly says, I mean this wasn't PSG we were playing, but. The, the three in midfield can give our two 
a problem. So I kind of I was very interested to see how that might work. Um, and then a very attacking front three. Um, how could you not be excited? But, you know, what it was going to lead to. I don't think anybody would have been shocked if we had started, been disjointed, couldn't get our shit together for the first 30 yep. or 45 minutes that we've seen this season. Well, with so many changes. Yeah, I, let me say yeah. this. I want to give some ground rules for this podcast because I don't think you can analyze this game without at least acknowledging that this was a much-changed Southampton side with a lot of inexperience yep. and some young players yep. that really had shockers on the day. Having said sure. that, I want to leave that to to one side for this podcast and not even address it that way because you can always write off anything positive with, well, they were shit. And my counter argument would be we've seen stronger Arsenal sides than this be shit against Preston. We've seen stronger Arsenal sides than this be shit against Brentford, against Leighton Orient. Um, I don't think Southampton's second 11 is any less in quality. I mean, maybe they are, but you know, certainly equal quality to teams we've played worse against. So while I fully acknowledge that you can rightfully dismiss this if you are the kind of cunt who is inclined to do that um, yeah. by virtue of the caliber of the opposition, I don't want that to play into our discussion because it really then would just invalidate any any kind of conclusions and analysis we want to perform. Um, yeah, don't bother doing a pod or don't bother talking about yeah, or discussing it. Right, then you can just say, oh, well, it was worthless, they were terrible. Yeah, um, yeah. And and you know what? On the bright side, we've made terrible teams look terrible this season for most of the season, right? I mean, we put fours and fives past teams like Ludogorets and and Hull and and in this case Southampton second eleven. Um, and and it's that's great. I mean, all you can ask for when you come up against a weakened side is that you cunt them right in their cunts, and we did. Um, so anyway, <laughs> um, let's let's do this. I, I want to get to the front line in a little bit and and to the goals because there were some some good ones. But the player who I think comes out of this arguably with having proven the most is Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. And I will stay with you for a minute, Paul. As you know, I've been very critical of the player. And I think I have reason to be. I don't think it's you know just agenda-driven bullshit, despite the fact that is my hashtag brand. Um, I think that he has been, if you want to be polite to him, inconsistent on the wing. And what's really typified his play is carrying the ball too long, not making the smart choice with the ball at his feet in terms of releasing his teammates and, and you know giving the pass when it's needed. So, of course, I had concerns about him playing in midfield. Uh, not just what did you think of the performance, but what is it about central midfield that seems to bring the best out of him? Because we've seen it against teams like Milan and Bayern Munich. This isn't the first time he's shined there. And do you think... Yeah. Given our midfield crisis, so to speak, he may get more opportunities there now. Um, don't know about the last one. I feel a bet coming on there again. Well, I, I mean, it's down to Coughlin him. and Ramsey. And if you believe some of the stuff that was floating around Twitter yeah. around the time of the game, there there are suggestions that both Cock and Ramsey are carrying uh, hamstring issues, I think Eagles, is what was, yeah. was referenced. So, you know, yeah. he, he may be right back in the discussion for Watford on Tuesday. But we can leave to one side whether he'll get more chances there. Yeah. Where did this performance come from, and, and how do you rate it? So what I think Ox always enjoys is just a little bit of space. Um, so he got a little bit of space here from Southampton. Uh, I mean, they tried pressing us for a bit. I, I, in a way, I give the biggest credit for the fact that we started well and and flowed and were smooth, etc., with, with two factors. One, uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles who's just smooth as silk. 
um, there's a guy. Stick with Ox just for a second because I want to talk about AMN. Yeah, no, this is about Ox, though. Oh, oh. Uh, (laughs) I must have misheard you. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is. Um, AMN kind of bought us a little time and calmness on the ball that created the space, I think, for Ox to begin to shine. The other thing was because he's not at the w- on the wing, kind of going one on one with players. He wasn't have to having to make those kind of do or die choices in the blink of an eye. Uh, you know, forwards get less time, and when you're going one on one against a guy, or cutting inside, or knocking it back to midfield, I think those that's that's a lot of pressure. I think he just had a little bit more time in midfield, and his job was for the most part continuity and make the pass kind of choices go one way or the other. And I didn't think he was, you know, I was a bit more critical of him. Some people found my position maybe a little uh, uh, out of line with how they felt about him. I didn't think he was 10 out of 10. I thought he was 10 out of 10 for all the medium hard stuff. I still think he showed a little bit of his indecision at times with just the knocking it around things. Of course. Of course. It wasn't a flawless performance. No, no. Uh, and you could see the elements of what maybe had got him into trouble in the past. Um, but this was a, a role with just that little bit of space that he enjoys. Now, when he gets confident, he's a guy who can handle the press because he will burst through a midfield that's pressing him with, you know, he has that one-on-one skill that we've seen uh, time and time again, running at players into the box. I mean, he'll mince a guy. So as long as he, you know, if he can settle in uh, to this where he has a little bit more time to make his pa- his passing choices and he knows that his job is to pass, kind of his just default in a way is kind of made for him in terms of pass or run. Well, generally it's pass. It's just kind of do I go this way or that way with the pass. Um, he can pick out a pass. We saw that again. I mean, we saw all the skin skills yesterday. When we ask why does Arson persist with him, well, he gave the answer yesterday. Uh, he's not the finished. Pro- he's still nowhere near the finished product in terms of what we would want out of him. But you can see why. Oh, should we keep him or Campbell? You can see where his this guy's ceiling is, if the confidence, if the quickness in the decision making, if just finding. Uh, his feet within the team, the you you have a, a a glimpse of what that guy has done for us in the past on occasions, not not over the last year or so. Um, I mean, he just lights it up, and you know, uh, his spree, speed and power through midfield. Uh, JRA did some of the same stuff himself, but. W- with those two guys just minced through South, Southampton in the, well, the first half. And, and AMN just kept it calm and controlled, so they always had the, that ball. So between the three of them, the control we exercised, I think, just immediately pushed Southampton's three further back. Yeah, you know, I think when you lose Jack Wilshire on loan, Rosicki to, you know, basically retiring and, and uh, Santa Cazorla to injury, you lose a ball carrier in midfield, right? Mm. Someone who can decide that they're going to advance the ball. And in the, you know, I mean, in Cazorla's case, it's maybe a little slower. In Jack's case, you know, maybe he hasn't done as much recently. But what Rosicki was great at doing was pushing the ball past that first defender and bursting 10 yards forward. And between JRA and, and Ox, um, you not just did you have some fantastic double-barreled names in midfield, but you had people that could carry the ball from the first phase of attack into the second phase. Um, and that's something we've been missing. The thing I wanted to 
ask uh, about Maitland-Niles, Clive, is just I don't think technically he, he impressed as much as like uh, uh, Jeffrey and Adelaide. But the way he played that role is I, I it's it was a little bit of a hybrid of what we've seen, you know, with the the range of passing isn't quite Shaka, the the aggressiveness and tackling isn't quite Coughlin, but he he had a lot of control in in a position of midfield where I don't feel we've often had control. How impressed were you with just the way he kept everything in front of him and and linked the play and rarely let um, the ball get sort of behind him or around him? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I was massively impressed with all of the midfield three. Yeah. And the, the common denominator is speed, right? Speed. Speed comes Amen. in two different forms, right? It comes in, you call it speed agility, and you have speed endurance, right? So I've always questioned Oxlade-Chamberlain's speed endurance. But in the, in the midfield, in a three, there were smaller distances for him to run. And you watch the game on TV. When that ball dropped... And you couldn't see an Arsenal player in the screen. You just knew we were getting to it first. You just knew we were. So, and what that does is, you're absolutely right, Paul, that makes everyone step back. And suddenly these players have got time. And what I, I was all, I always thought Oxlade-Chamberlain would be a great centre midfielder in a three. But what I didn't expect was the layers of passing that he had. I never expected the dinks, the floats, the through balls from distance, the short passing. If you give a player time, he can look great. But he bought that time by his physical presence and his speed. And moving on to Hazy Maitland-Niles, I mean, we've seen him play right back. And what, what we see when he plays right back, we can see his speed on the recovery, right? What we can't see is his sensing of danger because he's so quick. Yeah, the way he reads he the game. Sen- yeah, yeah he, he doesn't really sense it. So he just goes back in. He said, oh, something's happened. Let me get there. He gets there every time. And what I saw yesterday, if I can bring up a player who he reminded me of, he reminded me of Victor Wanyama a little bit. The more the game went on, the bigger he looked, the stronger he looked, the more physical he looked, the more tackles he made in his box standing up. He covered his fullbacks. He can cover ground. He can go to the right back. He can go to the left back. And when he gets it, it's quite simple. In fact, if there's one criticism of him, it's on what I call the five-yard pass. He needs to bend his standing leg a little bit more, shape his body, and make sure the five-yard pass is as important as the 15-yard pass and the tackle and, and, and the recovery runs. Once he adds that, it is what an athlete we have got in our centre midfield. And I've been speaking recently about our vulnerability, the amount of shots we conceded on, on our goal, and I know it's all about levels. I know Southampton were under strength, but I didn't feel vulnerable in our centre midfield for a first time in ages. And the potential of this system, the potential of adding speed, spring, dynamism in that midfield three, you can change the names around, but the dynamics and the profiles of the player is hugely, hugely promising. And and given the fact that these three are all under the age of 23, I mean, what have we just what have we just discovered here? I mean, these are the days we should be really excited about. Not just for the day, but what could happen in two years' time. Because all three of them were, you know, nearly 10 out of 10s for me. I'm just going to – I'll pump the brakes on that just for a second only because, I mean, we've been through 
just think when Jack and Ramsey get older, we're going to dominate for years. And we've been through, you know, just think when J. Emmanuel Thomas gets older. Yeah. I mean, you know, not, yeah. not to disparage these guys, but we have been sold a lot of promise on young talent with the odd cat, you know, back then it was the Carling Cup game performance or an FA Cup performance that was impressive. So I'm more inclined to leave some of this to analysis on the day as opposed to... um sort of uh, transposing that Thinking to forward. what could happen yeah. going forward. And, and by the way, there should be nothing wrong with analyzing the excitement and, and success of a day without having to put it in the context of, of the, the future. Paul, you wanted to just uh, add to that before we, we move on to the front three? Yeah, just I kind of wanted to poll you guys in terms of the, the thing I saw with, uh, I fully agree, like there's no guarantees about the future. We've seen players just light it up at that age and then, Two years later, they're just like, meh, vanilla, nothing. Their head goes, you know, it was, they were only good when they were a kid, shining kind of thing. Um, in defense of some of the other people we've talked about, I mean, injuries just struck them down in terms of careers. It's yeah, and look, I could, name, I could name different guys. You know, I could name Daniels. Yeah, yeah. like, you know, you, you know where I'm sure, going. Sure, sure, sure. But it's a bit, it's kind of like the South, you know, it's only Southampton uh, in the sense that uh, you get a pass to to visualize the future, but we all know nine times out of ten it never comes to pass. Um, here's what I would say about Ainsley Maitland-Niles. When I looked at him, uh, getting carried away with myself here, Elliot, he looks like the perfect freaking compliment to Chaka. Um, I don't think we have a player, maybe not even Santi. Now, he's not mature enough. He's not there yet. It might yeah. be for a couple more years. But if Chaka had him beside him, a guy who could was really cool under the press, really calm, handling the pressure, if it all pans out, right? This is one game, and we've seen some snippets in other games. It, it's strange he's so calm and and, uh, and good under the press and the pressure. Mike Com, isn't he the one with the crazy mom? Yeah, he's almost too calm right? sometimes, yeah. don't you think? He's almost yeah. like... Come on, man, wake up, will you? You know, because uh, you've got it all. There. Yeah, uh, uh, he he is the one with the crazy mom, though, isn't he? Well, crazy is a little harsh, but what, the what? I I have to admit that yes, despite following all of uh, the various social media <laughs> accounts that would cover such a story, I'm not familiar with it. There was yeah, some he's, mom he, that was giving poor. Arsenal real grief. Grief. Yeah, that's the one. His, that's the one. Yeah. Son not yeah, playing. She had yeah. a bit. Yeah. I think she um she had a bit of a set to with a few people in the club and she's hit yeah. one of them, et cetera, well, you et know what? And, you know, and you know what? They kept him on. That tells you how good he is. So, right? so my, it's a, we call that toddlers and tiaras over here. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and so my point is he may have a way of dealing with stress that's a little unusual to most people. Anyway, I suspect under the under the surface he's not nearly as calm as he looks, but hey. If he's got the skills to handle the press. Anyway, I I just think his ability to sit, his control, his his pace, his covering, um, you know, handling the pressure, the simple passes, he might might make a very interesting compliment to Chaka at some stage if Look, he ever makes the grade. The fact is, you know, the way Barcelona did it when they had Xavi and Iniesta and Busquets and Messi and you know they they played tiki taka and, and Sesk and all that. That's one way to do it. You can go more the Bale-Ronaldo athleticism route, and you look at some of the pace and running and power in the team between yeah. Maitland-Niles and Rayne Adelaide and Oxlade-Chamberlain, Hector Bellerin and Gibbs, actually, who can run you know much more than a Nacho Monreal, and then up front with you know Theo and Lucas and, and Welbeck, and it's just a tremendously athletic, quick 
quick side that can run behind you all day long and has a recovery pace to then get back, you know, if the ball's headed the other way. So, yeah, you, you can just kill a team with that kind of running, and we did. I think— And, it, and you, see it, you see it with Theo twice. On his goal, he's, it's his burst to get in there ahead of the— the center back for the first one. And then you see him going the other way and getting in behind the center backs and clearing the line. So to your point, when you have that much pace around the pitch and everybody's clued in, you're going to create a lot of chances and do, you know, bail yourself out of a lot of situations. And we definitely saw that against Southampton. Yeah. I mean, and by the way, you know, we're always going to do things that you don't expect. So for example, obviously expected me go with something in my intro about, Boldy being the manager, or we, you know, bold is bald, or, you know, so, some kind of Pep Guardiola <laughs> dig or something. But instead, I went the other way and I just went, you know, with the negative Elliott agenda thing. So I'm going to do exactly what you don't expect here because Welbeck scored twice, Walcott scored th- th- uh, three times. Paul, what'd you make of Lucas's performance? I loved it. I yeah, thought he was, it was fucking, fucking fantastic, wasn't it? So, so I mean, yeah. in case you don't know, Clive, Paul and I had sort of a, a contentious debate about Lucas, not whether we rated him, but whether we thought the manager did and had a place for him. Uh, I said I thought Lucas would get, uh, what, two starts or one start? Uh, you mentioned one, but the bet was I two or more. the bet was two or more. Yeah, I said he'd get two or fewer starts in the Premier League this season. He's on one right now, I believe. Um so, Paul, I mean, the, the performance was outstanding, and maybe you can just kind of give me, fl- flesh out for me what you saw that you liked about him on, on the day. He's just so clever. Quick, tight control, really quick mind, flicks. He'll make every moment count on the pitch, and it may count against him uh, in that he's, he'd be a wonderful super sub because uh, he'll spot the gaps in the last 20 minutes. But on, on this gap, day, gaps appearing. he yeah. dropped deeper and linked play in a way we hadn't seen previously. Maybe because previously he'd come yeah. in in wide positions, but he was playing the false nine role a little bit. Yeah, well, he's done it before. He just didn't do it. It just didn't really click. He's definitely dropped deep and connect the play. And, and Wenger's talked about him being very good connective tissue. Uh, and you see that. I mean, he makes... Once he's got his eye in, which I never thought would take him long, the reason I think he'd be really important in the run-in is because he's ready. He's always been ready since he showed up here. Well, he, uh, he's a, he's a know, fully he, developed player, you know. Yeah, and he knows what a run-in's about, having bailed his team out in two different run-ins. Uh, he's never been more ready. You know, we've never had a player more ready in his life to do something. This is one of his last two or three seasons at the peak of his abilities. Uh, you know, he's hardcore. He doesn't fuck around. Uh, he gets stuck into other teams. He's got that delicious aggro about him. But he uses every minute on the on the pitch. He's just very, very clever. The, the, the intelligence of the two passes to, um, you know, he set up well back. And, I, you know, he didn't set up the second one, but he set up another uh, opportunity just like it. Two different flicks. Um, he's just he's. Absolutely fucking brilliant in terms of the clever little things he does very quickly. I think he's kind of unmarkable, too, almost in an Alexis way. He's just, I would hate to mark that guy. He's so quick, clever. The goal he didn't get. Moves around. Yeah, the goal he didn't get. I mean, that great run, you know, just timed perfectly. Great, great pass, That was the Um, ox over the top, wasn't it? Yeah, brilliant. So the the problem for Lucas, again, though, is he shines – 
in a game where his <laughs> attacking line partners score five goals among them, and they're both just back from injury themselves, um, pushing Lucas probably further to the back of the queue. Clive, let's talk Welbeck. I mean, this is a guy who has been out so long. He comes back. You think he's going to be rusty, and he's on the score sheet right away with just an absolutely beautiful run. Actually, Lucas provided the assist for the first, right? Yeah, yep. the, the little ball I mean, around uh, around the corner, through you know, through the back, I mean, back four. And then the thing that I thought was so interesting, we know that Welbeck will run and harry and chase, and, and uh, he's physical and he's strong. Both of his goals demonstrated really deft touch. Is that what really impressed you about the goals he scored? Was was not so much the running and the power, but the 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 deftness of touch and control, especially from a player who's been out that long. Yeah, I mean, what he's doing is is incredible on the TV in England. Right, we had Martin Keown talking about Welbeck before the game, and um, he actually called it. He said he watched the warm up, and he said he looks amazing. He's going to tear this to pieces. Literally, is what he said. And and that's what happened. He's got to be careful because Keys and Gray got in trouble for something, you know, sound, <laughs> sounding much less nefarious. But okay. But um, I mean, he's been out in the last twenty-one months. I think he's missed seventeen or eighteen months of football. Right. So to come out there and do that, it, it's just not. It, it, it must. It, the effort he must have put in physically to get to that level is incredible. And and he and he's actually quite lucky because he has got Lucas with him. And let's, just going back to Lucas, just briefly, he's got a unique skill for building partnerships. Wherever he plays on the pitch, that other player that's near him plays really, really well. Wasn't so long ago we talked about Lucas and Giroud. Wasn't so long ago we talked about Lucas and Ozil, Lucas and Bellerin. Wherever he goes, left, right. But now today he went, he went false nine. That means really without our false nine creators in Ozil and Sanchez, he was the one that took the burden. And we flowed. Right, so opposition-wise, let's just put that out for a second. But we flowed. The pattern was good. The people with the right profile of of skill sets with the right positions, and Lucas looked around and said, "Okay, I've got two, I've got two amazing sprinters next to me, left and right. I don't need to be running in behind. But what I do need to do, I need to be feeding them. I need to be creating space then by my movement." And he sacrificed his game. And for me, when I see players that sacrifice themselves for the betterment of others, I I love to see that. I absolutely love it. He came deep and he left a space for Walcott and Welbeck to run in behind. And when Sanchez came on, he mirrored it and, and created two assists. I mean, I hope people are not thinking this guy is not going to have an influence because to me, every time he steps on the pitch, he does something positive. And, and as for Danny Welbeck, I mean, I just watch, the, I watch him play and all I'm doing is thinking, OK, in my first 11, he's in it. If I can have my European Cup final team in tomorrow morning, he's in that first 11 on that left-hand side. Hmm. And all I do is just think, OK, can you get through the game? If you watch how he runs, he's quite straight-legged, he's quite coltish, he's quite heavy on his knees. I wonder if we've got ourselves our own Ledley King here. We've got somebody with a problem, somebody we have to manage, someone who can't train every day, someone who just has an issue around his knees, around his bone degeneration. We're going to have to watch Someone him. who played for a but, team that we fucking hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean by that. Ledley King was an outstanding player. Wherever we like no, him, no, he's outstanding. Yeah, yeah. And basically, 
he had issues doing repeat games, repeat training sessions because of his knee issues. I'm hoping we don't get that far. I hope it's not too, you know, it doesn't get to that level where he has to be rested. But we have to manage him because when he plays, we look different. We look dynamic. We look quick. We run through lines. His defensive work is outstanding. And he's I, tricky I, I, on the dribble say, too. He he can you know oh, he, he combines he tricks he yeah. combines with people. He's he's a hard he's tackle. He's a real footballer. He's a real footballer. And um, I don't think it's, I, I don't think it's an Arsenal fan that doesn't love him. I, I mean, don't. He's universally I think popular. The, the the funny thing is, if you were going to levy a, a complaint about him, you'd say he's got it all except in front of goal, and and that's always been the sort of the criticism is the finishing, and I think that's that's what made this performance so encouraging is that you know he he had. I mean, granted, the second finish was kind of scuffed, but in in that dangerous area in the box, some great touches, at least one, If and if you want to give him credit for the second, two great finishes, because if he can finish, I don't see how you keep him out of the team. I mean, real quick, Clive, I, you know, I, I know we're trying to analyze the game in the context of the performance, but we have some big games coming up, Bayern's on the horizon, yep. Stanford Bridge at the weekend. Is Danny Welbeck gonna find himself as you know is he gonna is he gonna have one of those front three berths when the big games come around is he gonna be a starter well i'll tell you uh, it depends what mindset Wenger has right if he if he's going there if i'm looking at that game i'm thinking okay i wouldn't play him versus watford i would bring Giroud back for watford i would play a game much closer to the penalty area and i would do my inverted crosses and i'll try to win it that way because we're going to push them back deep for a home game but I'll be saving Danny Welbeck for, for Chelsea. And I, I quite liked what we did. I would love to see a front three of uh, Welbeck, Walcott and Alexis. And Alexis in the middle. And um, doing what Lucas did. And obviously he's at a higher level. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what I would like. Uh, with Ursula in behind. But um, let's see. Let's see. But I think he's getting very close. He's been out a long time. We mustn't put our expectations too high on him. Recovering from injury takes a long, long time. But he is refusing to do what normal medical recovery is all about. He's refusing to accept that. And his performance levels are really, really high. And so, you know what? Um, I mean, he's, he's close. He's close. We we probably should give a little credit to the much maligned medical staff because they seem to have him in tip-top shape probably a little sooner than anyone expected. Paul, and I will tell you guys right now, this is the part of the program where I'm biting the fucking tip of my tongue off uh, to not... <laughs> bring up how much I prefer us with a mobile, hard-running front line and not Olivier Giroud's slow, fucking, oafish mug sitting there in the middle of the pitch, clogging it. Fuck, I've done it, haven't I? Um, I love him, though. No, he's a seriously talented Frenchman, and I'm thrilled that he's part of the squad. Um, Paul, I've saved him for you, your your best friend, Theo. Um, He gets a hat trick. Uh, He... Did a lot of hard running. It, it is as quintessential a Theo performance as you can imagine. Three goals. I think he completed six, six or passes. seven passes. He attempted 13. He completed them in a 53% clip. There is just no real way. I mean, someone said that if you're familiar with the goal impact stat, the, someone tweeted that Theo Walcott is, uh, was put on this planet to destroy goal impact. Um, I, I think... He is a player that statistics may not understand, but you can see his his influence on the pitch even when he's not touching the ball. Um, what did you make of Theo in his return? Look, I thought he was great. Uh, he was well down my pecking order of great games. Um, what I really like at the moment is, uh, maybe I just purified my timeline somewhere along the way, but it seems 
there's less and less shit about, you know, why is Theo around? What does he do? What's he contribute? You know, okay, he gets a goal every now and then, but then he does nothing. It's like people have finally got the memo. They mightn't want him in their first 11, but they understand that he's an asset and the value he gives. Now, maybe he's just hitting them over the head with it by scoring goals and and the odd assist these days. But um, So uh, the most exciting thing was that he was back and he's got his eye in uh, and he's in form. Um, but, you know, uh, as the world's biggest Theo fan, still, I mean, Welbeck and Perez kind of took my breath away in terms of the overall performance. Uh, what was exciting was the speed across the team that Theo played a role in. He's working very hard. They're all working very hard going both ways. So the excitement is the bench, the options, the run-in in terms of the number of attackers. It's a fucking shame we're eight points behind Chelsea because if it were uh, kind of neck and neck, I'd really fancy us to take it all the way through. The The only place we're thin is midfield. Up front, I mean, it's a fucking, as the saying goes, embarrassment of riches. Um, thought Theo was great. Uh, what some people seem to want instead of six passes and three goals when they were complaining yesterday was apparently nine passes. I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, Paris. you know, and, and this is the point too, you know, Lucas had, you know, 40 passes completed at 80%. You know, when we play Giroud, he's playing 25, 20, 25 passes at 60%. So, you know, I think when you get a more involved, more mobile um, more influential center forward in there, then you can have a wide player who does more of the running and doesn't have to do as much connective play. Um, and, and I've the gone... other thing, I, I, you, you kind of spark something there. One of the things we've seen with Perez in recent times, how many of those passes has he put across the six-yard box? That are just yeah, he like fizzed one six... that was just a little too hard for Theo to get on, but he, yeah. he does have a Every feel... Every single game. He has a feel for that. Uh, I, I think the one thing... Can you imagine having Welbeck and... And Theo dialed into that over the next few games. Yeah, I, I think it'd be great. I mean, I think the question now is, what is our what is our front three? I mean, Awobi is a player who the manager has shown a lot of faith in. He loves having that extra controlling player in the front three, someone who can come into the midfield and add an extra body. And I would think with Theo back that we might revert to Awobi, Alexis, and Theo. Um, because that's kind of where we had been at our best this season. Um, you could say that he's going to stick with Giroud just because that's what's comfortable for him. And Giroud, despite not scoring in his last game, had been on a torrid run of form. I, I mean, uh, just a goal-scoring run. But now you've got Welbeck. Um, now you've got uh, Is this Walcott. the first time that, that the manager truly has such an embarrassment of riches that he needs to keep engaged, that rotation is not just... Uh, uh, forced upon him, but is attractive to him because he doesn't lose quality. Yeah, the only challenge is, first of all, we know that's not how he's tended to do it. And and I am sure. still sort of a believer that while rotation improves freshness, that in the games that matter, you still want to know who your best 11 is so that they can gel and have that cohesion that we always talk about. Clive, um, let's skip over Watford just for a second, and let's say the next game was at Stamford Bridge. What front three would you pick? Not not. Do you think the manager would pick? What would you pick for that? Game? Okay, I, I, you know my 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 top front three is, is Welbeck left, Theo right, Alexis false line. Amen. And the reason why because what they do is they run through people, right? So Chelsea's whole game plan 
It's about them being on the front foot, them progressing the ball into areas where they like it, getting it early to their front three and playing from there and then overloading wide areas with their wing backs. Right? And when you clear the ball, you're clearing to three central defenders centrally. What we do having those three people is that we're saying to you, okay, if you want to stay narrow, we'll take you out wide. If you're gonna stay, if you want to stay straight out a bit more, we're gonna run through you. If you gotta go and find Alexis, when you go and find Alexis, you're gonna leave yourself, you're gonna leave yourself under under challenge, right? You're gonna leave yourself one on one. You're gonna leave yourself one on one, not with idiots, but with people who are comfortable running past you. Two, a 26 year old to a 27 year old, who want to run. They like to run. And mm-hmm. that's the key to shaking a team. You have to stress a team that's comfortable in their formation. If we go there and play in front of them, they're comfortable with that because it's formation, Italian defense. They can basically wait for the crosses to come in. If we start to run through them and be very mobile, like we did in the home game, I think they're going to be worried. You know, so I'm Several seasons ago, um, I think it was Barcelona who said the, the player they feared the most in our side was Theo Walcott. I think defenders don't want to have to turn and face their goal, right? They don't want to be yeah. in a running contest with with uh, faster forwards. And you even saw it for, for Welbeck's second. You know, he probably wasn't favorite to get to that ball, but when you turn a defender and force him to run towards his goal, they'll often shit themselves. And having three guys that can turn the defenders. And, you know, I think Alexis is powerful, but he's not particularly pacey. Like, he's not the fastest guy. So you put Welbeck and Walcott on either side of him, and they've got to be aware of all of those runners. Um, I, I just, it's tough because how do you how do you rest Lucas? So then I'll, I'll ask you this, Paul. First of all, I'll let you have a, just, a, just a quick swing at it. I don't need the analysis so much. Just no. if, if Stanford Bridge was tomorrow, what front three would you pick? Uh, the first two are easy, Alexis and Welbeck. And then it's like, do I want Theo? Do I want Perez? Or do I want uh, Iwobi? Iwobi. Yeah. I, I I think Perez might shade it for me. And I like, it's really close. But I think Perez but might here's the shade it for me. Given, yeah. given a chance in front of goal, he gets one chance in the game. Who do you trust to put it away? And I think I try, as crazy as it sounds, I think... I trust Theo if he, the ball rolls to him on the sprint to put it away. Sure, sure. You know, the I, only issue with that front, the only issue with that front three, Elliot, is that the two guys on the wide, we their top game is fresh in our minds at the moment, but both of them are coming back from injury, right? And fair. when you come back from injury, you you have those you have those adrenaline moments. Do you know what I mean? And um, and it's all, and then can you sustain it on the next one? To put both of them there, I'm not sure that Wenger will do it. I think he may go for early control. One speedster, the Wobi plays, and then another speedster come on later on. Does that make sense? It makes because sense. I'll, I'll think, tell you this. Is, is there a player with a better big game record for us than Theo Walcott, though? I mean, and a he, big he's game proven he does Chelsea. it in big games. Yeah. yeah, he loves scoring against so, Chelsea, against Spurs. So I think Theo plays. I think Iwobi's left... And I think um, Sanchez is uh, our centre forward. That's what I think he'll do as, as a halfway house. If I close my eyes, everyone's fit and healthy. Well, bet plays every time. Yeah, I mean, Paul, I, I kind of jokingly tweeted like, "Can we ride or die with Welbeck, Walcott, 
Lucas, Alexis, Ozil, and Ox in front of a back five and just you know say what midfield crisis and not have one. <laughs> Th- that was yeah. a joke. But joking aside, I mean, is there an argument that like discretion be damned that the right way forward is to get as much of your attack? This is a team that has is overloaded with attacking talent and has never shown a particular affinity for or or aptitude for organized defensive performances. But we have been scoring in threes and fours and fives this season. Is there an argument that the right way forward for us, if we are going to go on a run, if we are going to win a league or, heaven forbid, make a European run, that it's through an aggressive, attack-minded approach where we put Welbeck and Alexis and Walcott on the pitch, where we play Ozil at 10, where maybe even Oxlade chamberlain is in central midfield? Um, I mean, is that is that the right way forward for a team with this DNA? Um, I think... If we're talking the or Chelsea is that just game, FIFA I, Xbox bullshit? I think uh, well, perhaps a little. You, you went a little too far on it, but I think <laughs> it's the right general idea. You got to to me, you got to play Welbeck against Chelsea because there's every chance they just won't be able to contain him. So you got to take that chance. Clive's right. He, he, that could be the game where he takes a step back for a while and he's a bit more ordinary. But you just got to take that risk because. When he's like that, nobody can contain him. And you're going to be getting in behind potentially two wing forwards. He could be getting in behind Moses uh, all game long. So you got, you kind of, I do agree you got to load it a little bit. I don't think we're going to be that brave. But I guess the manager is going to have, depending on who his central midfielders are, he might have to make some interesting choices anyway. Um and, uh, you know, Ox could be a real candidate for the for the two as you as you talk about there. So I think you got to go for it. I don't think we can be too cautious. I mean, nobody beat nobody's beaten Chelsea at home and uh, nobody's beaten Chelsea generally. So you've got to get well, we, we have to them. <laughs> we have. Yeah. Well, now. Right. Uh, nobody's Since, beaten them. Spurs yeah. did. But Spurs, Liverpool and us, the three teams yep. they've lost to the three teams below them. Well, so they got, they, they might be everybody thinking, got stuck for stuck into them. Nobody, them, none of them said, "Oh, it's Chelsea." You know, how do in a we, shell, and yeah, yeah. How do we finesse our way through this? How do we play our? Uh, you know, how do we beat them by a little bit? You just got to go for them. I, I think that's right, and you know, it'll be interesting because we have a game midweek on Tuesday, correct? Watford at home. Yep. Um, and, you yeah. know, they're a team that's kind of down on their luck. I don't think they're the biggest of threats, but we've seen ourselves piss away games like this before. Um, and, you know, we're, we're coming off our last league performance where we really just about got it done in a game where we almost set fire to our season before it even really got a chance to get back on track. So it'll be interesting, right? Because if the manager picks Welbeck or Walcott in that game, odds are he really can't pick them at Stamford Bridge coming back from injury, right? I mean, Clive, if he picks Welbeck yeah. or Walbeck or, or Walbeck, if he picks Walbeck or Wel- Welcott to start uh, Tuesday, he can't, well, I mean, he can, but realistically coming yeah. back from the injuries, that probably lets you know that they're not in line to start for Saturday, correct? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I don't expect Welbeck to start on uh, Tuesday night. Walcott, you know, once he's back, he tends to have a repeat amount of games. It's going to be interesting to see what he does in centre mid because there's rumours of Coquelin and Ramsey nursing hamstring strains, right? So we don't know where they are, where their fitness is, and what he's going to do there, right? So 
the reason why I'm so excited about the game at the weekend is we found another way to play. And we may need it. (laughs) We may need it, exactly. It's not like, oh my God, they're going to be world stars. It's okay, we found another way to play to cover the injury situation, suspension situation that we have, an Africa Dayton situation we have in centre midfield. So the world won't potentially end, right? So um, that's what's so exciting about the Southampton game for me. The potential is just clear. Um, but I don't. I, I think Giroud will come back in for Watford. I think he's perfect for them, right? So um, I think Urz will come back. I think Alexis will come back. But I do think, I don't see both Walcott and Welbeck playing on Tuesday because I think one of them will definitely play on Saturday. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you could see Lucas starting again on Tuesday uh, with an eye towards resting one of Theo or Welbeck to then have that player come back in Saturday. Um, I think the interesting odd man out potential here is for Awobi because if the manager is starting to believe in Lucas a little, and he obviously doesn't have a choice but to believe in Alexis, who gets to manage himself apparently, um, and you know if he's then kind of leaning towards Welbeck or Walcott or one of the both of them, you know, starting and, and the other one starting the next game, you wonder if Awobi could be the odd man out um, through no fault of his own. It's interesting because we could be playing an Ashley Maitland-Niles or Oxlade-Chamberlain in midfield on Tuesday, but have three guys on the bench who have a claim to be a starter. And here's the irony. In this entire debate, we've never once raised this, the prospects of Olivier Giroud starting at center forward, which ironically is the most likely scenario because the manager is pretty damn wedded to it. Um, do you think, Paul, that that we may now be done at least for a stretch of games with Giroud starting? Fingers uh, crossed, please. What, make, what, my, make my day. Well, uh, I agree with Clive. Uh, maybe it's wishful thinking um, that Giroud could and should start against Watford and should not and will not start against Chelsea. Why um, start him against Watford? I mean, why? Uh, why, not go, why not go Lucas, Alexis, and Awobi? Or, you know, one of Welbeck and Walcott, Awobi and Alexis? I mean, what? Because we know Alexis well, is going to start. Well, but you're not asking me what would you or I do. We're, uh, fair, okay. we're talking yep, about yep, what, yep, yeah, what, what would the manager do. do. Yep. So, that, so uh, you know, we could get into a long debate on it, but I think we've had that debate. Uh, he, certainly, if you're going to play <laughs> really? Giroud anywhere, probably Watford at home can make some sense. So, okay. um and, the reason and, why, we'll, they'll be closer to their goal. And yeah. Giroud scored a lot of goals late in games when teams are forced back closer to their goal. When he's in the penalty area, he's the king. Right? So against Watford, he'll be near that penalty area for most of the game. And I wouldn't have anybody else when we've got a team pinned in their box than Giroud. When we're playing away at Chelsea, when we've got to travel through the third, when we have to be incisive, be dynamic, run people backwards, stress them out, I don't think he's the right man. He doesn't press the possession. He doesn't protect by pressing the possession. That means we don't get picked off by centre-backs playing balls straight through our centre-backs. I just don't think he has that top-level game in him. But Watford at home, he'll do for me every time. Yeah, I guess it's like what I would say is Bournemouth away in the 3-3, our first half we were down three goals. Preston away, we were down a goal to Preston. Swansea City away against the worst defense in the league. We played for 30 minutes, you know, turgid football. And I get it at this level. It's it's never meant to be easy, but not particularly dynamic. And then the Burnley game, you know, 
we put ourselves in a pretty diabolical situation that we rescued. The thing all those games have in common is we started Giroud at center forward, and while he's been scoring goals with the exception of the, the Burnley game, I just think, you know, then we we go to Southampton away, we go to a more mobile front line, and boom, we're, you know, we're in behind them all day long. So I, I would just love to see us... Well, everybody knows what I would I don't know why I even bother bringing this up anymore. Um, <laughs> Me neither. Yeah, anyway, let's do this. Let's Let's start to wrap up, but the one thing that I think... Uh, somewhat humorous is that Alexis came on with a four goal lead. Was it four when he came on, or just three? it was four, right? Three, I three think was three. three. Okay, he had two assists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, he he made a couple goals. goals. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I thought he did brilliantly. It was great that he got on. I mean, uh, Elliot, he prevented the three three. He did. There you go. He did. Um, <laughs> my question to you, Clive. Do you think that Arsene Wenger wanted Alexis to come on or that when he told Alexis he wasn't starting, he was forced to promise him 30 minutes? Yeah, I think um, I think the Danny Welbeck thing was decided. He was going to get an hour. Right? Yeah, and, um, once you put Alexis on the coach, you take away from his dogs. You better play him, right? You can't take him all that way and don't play him. So, um, so yeah, that was a pre-planned move you know, to do one hour for Danny Welbeck, which makes me think he will not be involved on Tuesday for a minimal from the bench. So, uh, yeah, Alexis, is, he rules himself. I actually thought he was quite sloppy. <laughs> I know he set up two goals. Yeah, he had a terrible two-assist performance. I agree with you. He was pretty <laughs> two mediocre. Two-assist performance. Well, you know the problem, though? pretty average. Just, just really, really quickly in his defense, I was watching that pretty closely. It was the point of the game where the rest of the team had kind of started walking around a little bit. Yeah, and, you know, Alexis is out there harrying and pressing and, bay, you know, baying for people to come join him. And they were like, go fuck yourself. We put this away at the hour mark. Like, yeah, it was just a different <laughs> dynamic on the pitch at that point. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, the guy's class and he he has a different view on football. And, um, yeah, I love his mentality and I wish we had a few more like him. But, um yeah, at the moment, we're all a little bit edgy about him, aren't we? No, there's no noise. There's no noise. Is he going to stay? Every noise we hear is a negative. So, um, I completely, thanks, Clive. I'd completely bloody forgotten about that for this pod till you brought it up. <laughs> Sorry, <mate. laughs> um, uh, and then so l- let's round it out with this the one player who didn't get a lot of talk because it was such a fantastic out, uh, offensive performance is Rob Holding. And Paul, I thought he did great with what he had to do. Yeah. Um, he actually, you know, had the higher completion percentage by by a lot than uh, Mustafi. I thought he he was you know pretty composed. It wasn't a flawless game, but pretty solid. And every time I see him play, he just looks so comfortable. Um, is there an argument to, to be made, and and not to go too far into this, just really quickly, that maybe he and not Gabrielle should be the the first option off the bench? I mean. Murdersacker's role yeah. is, is a debate for another day, uh, and it's great to see him back in the team. By the way, obviously, love Per Murdersacker, but he, does Holding inspire more confidence in you than than Gabriel? Um, I wouldn't like to load it that much, but yeah, uh, I definitely think there's an argument for it. Um, I don't think uh, I know what you mean about Gabriel. I think we all do. Uh, you know, I've kind of talked about the bit of the wild man about him, and he may always have that. Um, you know, you can see Rob holding his class. You can see he's the future and you can't hold him back too long. Um, I don't think Gabrielle has hit his ceiling yet, but he, but he may never, he could be one of those players that this is it. He, he'll always, uh, there's a lot I like about his game. I think he's got loads of assets, but he, there's the wildness and the unpredictability um, and the com- communication. And I don't think that's necessarily, just about language it's about 
you know, literally being on the wavelength of the other guys, which I don't think we always say. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a great argument for it. But well, I still like Gabriel a lot if he can become, if he can fill in those gaps. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I, so uh, I'll give you the, the the last talking point, Clive, which is Ospina. It was Ooh. a very interesting Ospina day because it had shades of the Morris Dancer and Fabianski in the FA Cup about it, but he also did a nice job coming and claiming crosses and set pieces and made a few good saves. Um, yeah. Is he just one of those sort of South American eccentric kind of keepers who doesn't look like a keeper who's always going to frustrate a little bit because he's um, not particularly the the prototypical, you know, Czech is sort of the prototypical European-style big composed keeper, despite the fact that he occasionally lets one in the near post that he shouldn't. Um, is is Ospina not great, or does Ospina just not look great? <laughs> uh, Ospina, he's almost like an attacking European goalkeeper, and I, I heard Tim talk about this a few months back, saying he's perfect for the Champions League. Because there isn't so many crosses coming in, there isn't so much physicality that won't allow it. But he's very calm in distribution, and he's more of an all-round keeper. He's he comes out to the edge of his area. But the one thing you can't you're practice in me. training <laughs> it's, it's the one thing. Think think about this right: you're training. You're not playing under twenty-three games because you're not allowed to, right? Because you're overage. So the one thing you can't practice is distances coming out to the edge of your area. You can't mimic that that scenario in in training. So in games where he's rusty with two new centre-backs every time he turns up, he's coming out of his box, right? So that's to be almost expected. It's the first thing you see with a goalkeeper that hasn't played is their decision-making coming out of their area. I thought he took some great crosses earlier on, and I really like him. I don't underestimate him. I'm looking at our number one goalkeeper who makes a save a game, no doubt about it, and we, we feel comfortable with his size and dimensions. But this guy's a modern goalkeeper, Spina, and he's starting to me to close that gap. He really is starting to close that gap and make people question the longer term or medium term to long term future of Peter Cech, in my opinion. And people even talk about Chesney in, in the background, right? So um, I, I like him. All he lacks is minutes and consistent games. So we'd get some of those rough edges away, to be honest. So Fair enough. He gives me a heart attack. I just don't think he looks like a keeper, um, which is probably <laughs> not the kind of expert analysis that you come to this pod for. So let's wrap it up. Uh, no, it's, that's cool. It's cool. <laughs> You do think in practice he'd be able to work out where the goal line is and not keep stepping back. That is a worry. Yeah, the dropping back into his goal uh, thing. That, that is a worry. Right? I can't deny that. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, he made some great claims early on. And, let, you know, another clean sheet. I'll take that one. Yeah, look. Here's we- my quick tuppence, ten words on it. Um, okay. I like Ospina a lot. Czech's getting way too much criticism. Yeah, He's I don't been get that. Really, yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Yes, yes, he has his faults. He's getting way too much criticism. We wouldn't know how bad he was at saving penalties if we didn't give away so many penalties. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, all right, he makes a big save again. He makes a big save again. Yeah. Check those. Yeah, let's knock it on the head. I, I, look, I, I will say this: after years of you know surviving Fabianski, uh, well, Fabianski before he became half decent, and, and Almunia. Um, I want our keeper not to cost us points. If he saves us points, it's a bonus, and I think. Certainly, check saves us the odd point. I don't think he costs us points. So we'll leave it there. Um, it's Watford on Tuesday and then a uh, trip to Stanford Bridge. So 
No rest for the wicked, but it was a ton of fun. Um, one of the games that I was really highlighted the season for me. I want to thank Clive for stepping in in place of Tim, who's got a uh, Brazilian family in town. So um, I hope that he is having a lovely time with his family. Tim will be back in the future. But uh, Clive can be found on Twitter at Clive PAFC. You can also hear him on the Superior Guna Ramble. Uh, Clive, it is a pleasure. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you very Clive. much. Enjoyed it, man. Enjoyed it. Yeah, always a blast. And then Paul is in all the usual places that you can avoid, uh, but most notably, Paz in my pants on Twitter. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo! Woohoo, indeed. My name is Elliot Smith. Please block me on Twitter, uh, especially now because I've been tweeting a lot of political stuff, which is horrendous and nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> However, as I noted, um, that may be superior to my Arsenal opinions. So. You know, come see, come saw. Anyway, uh, uh, give us a five-star review. Write nasty stuff in the comments section. We'll be back after Watford. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have some players for then. So we'll see. Should be great. Uh, maybe the manager's listening, and it'll be like six attackers, and we can just go win seven to five. Anyway, uh, we'll talk to you after the game on Tuesday. Cheers. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com